welcome back to another episode and series three of Two Guys, One Topic. I'm Ollie. Yeah, baby, and I'm Liam. So for those who don't know, or any new listeners out there, each episode we just take a topic that we know very little about and we give ourselves a week to read and research all about it, with the idea being that we then share with you some of the most important pieces of information that we found. Yes, exactly. And so everybody knows we are not experts in anything that we talk about on the pod. This is just a summary of our findings. Hopefully, by sharing some knowledge, we can all learn a little bit more about a whole lot of things. Yeah, right. Let's get straight on with Series 3, Episode 1. The first episode of the new series is all about... Boxing! Liam, we're on to series three. This is pretty cool. And as you just said, the first topic is boxing. As we always do, do you want to let everybody know what you thought you knew about boxing before we started to research it? I am actually a fan of boxing. I do watch boxing when it's on. I do follow it, like the news about it. But it was only when it was the AJ Usyk fight. I think you actually went to it, didn't you? Yes. Um, you can tell everybody how that was in just a sec. But as I was watching it, you know, I suddenly started thinking it'd be a good podcast because, like, I know what's happening when they're bu- boxing, but I don't know anything about the history of boxing. I don't know how it's scored. I don't know what the weight categories mean, why there's loads of belts. Like, just a few, four or five quite big questions. I found myself wondering if I could find out the answers. And then here we are. Definitely. So, that is pretty much the same as me like you say yeah managed to go along to the the Joshua Usek fight and Joshua lost all of his belts I was just thinking why are there so many belts in the first place and like how was the fight put together like there was some there's always crazy numbers that come out normally about how much boxers earn from fights and what have you so yeah the history of it I just thought let's actually delve into it and scratch below the surface see what boxing's all about Shall we? start as it normally does at the very beginning and talk about the history of it yeah i think it's just just before we start it's quite important we're we're not going to be what's the word we're not going to be subjective are we we're going to be objective we're not going to say like who's the best boxer in the world and things like that because that's not like fact we're going to just talk about the the nuts and bolts of it aren't we yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's it's really subjective and, you know, we don't really care about who the best pound-for-pound pound fighter is and stuff. So we're just more about the yeah, the actual facts behind boxing. Yeah, so as with everything we seem to do, it started a very long time ago, didn't it? Do we need like an alert? We need like a long time ago alert that just goes off whenever we start something. Yeah. The, so there's lots of evidence and carvings and and sculptures and writing in like historical books and poetry and stuff like that that, that talk about boxing. But apparently the earliest visual evidence is from 3000 BC in some Sumerian relief carvings, whatever that might mean. <laughs> so, yeah, some some carvings from from way, way back. And it sort of makes sense, doesn't it? Like fighting and people having you know, settling their differences by having a fight. But it wasn't really until it then got to the Olympics with the Greeks, which was one of our other topics we did in series one, I think it was, where it was boxing was introduced as a support at the Olympics on the 23rd Olympiad, which was in 688 BC. 
Yeah, that's a long time ago, isn't it? And then, uh, yeah, just like the people would fight. And there's something the Greeks said that a boxer's victory is gained in blood, which uh, is pretty grim, isn't it? As we know, they, they liked their gory sports back then, didn't they? And this was almost like the, the first time where there'd been some semi-rules put in place around people having these fights. And again, I, I we touched on this with the, the Olympics one, how the Greeks used to worship the gods. And it became where the patron god of sport was Apollo. And apparently it was said that he defeated Ares, who was the god of war, and they started boxing to then worship the god of war. Apparently. Fair enough. Um, they actually... An amazingly bloody bout is uh, talked about in uh, Homer the Iliad, which is that like a famous poem or something? I've read it. It's a really long poem. But let let me just quote this for you. So this is a a quote about a famous boxing match, I guess, from 675 BC. For I tell you this straight out, and it will be a thing accomplished. I will smash his skin apart and break his bones on each other. Let those who care for him wait nearby in a huddle about him to carry him out after my fists have beaten him under. Brutal. Sounds absolutely brutal. Yeah. But we know, so going, going back to the Olympics episode as well, we know that what they used to do is, well, it's in boxing, they didn't have any rounds and they just continued to box each other until either it was acknowledged that somebody had been defeated by holding one finger up or that person was unable to continue, normally meaning that they had died. Yeah, that's pretty grim. But if we come way closer to now, if you come back to like 1743, the first set of rules started coming into play, didn't they? A guy called Jack Broughton. Yeah, that's that's the one. He had been a, a prize fighter. So yeah, still a long time ago, 1743, a few hundred years ago, but they were bare knuckle fighting then, weren't they? And he was one of the the, the champions, but he put in more rules that are sort of, closer aligned to what we've then got today and he was there trying to protect the health and safety of other boxers apparently that's because somebody he boxed died did you read that so he apparently someone had died that he was boxing and then he felt bad enough that actually and we need to come up with some rules he actually introduced what what obviously gloves nowadays but they were called mufflers back then and uh, they were just like padded you know some pads they put on their fist but made things worse didn't it yeah so it's it's quite interesting when they were bare knuckle fighting if you were to hit something hard it would hurt your own hands so when you were bare knuckle fighting you would more often aim for something soft like the body but when they started yeah. wearing gloves they realized that they could hit something hard like the face and not hurt their hands as much yeah so yeah ironic really he tried to protect everything and it just made things worse perhaps but that's why so. you were saying like the pictures that you see of yeah, yeah yeah if you look for the, the picture you know those old timey boxes like from like victorian times or something when they're, they're standing it's hard to describe over like a podcast where they're standing with their hands by their side and like one hands up like come and get them come and get yes. them that's yeah, yeah yeah um but that's because they're defending their body because the hands are down low because people would box for the body because no one would go for your head because you know hitting you your skull's pretty hard so no one like you're saying no one's going to go for it so they would stand with their hands by their side defend their body and that would be the pose whereas nowadays you know boxing pose your hands are up by your face aren't they yes yeah 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 and then over over time so there were these this this jack broughton he introduced these rules 
There's also the Queensbury Rules, which came in in 1867. And by that point, they then removed things such as headbutting, eye gouging, kicking, hitting opponents when they were down and biting. So it's very, you know, yeah, they're yeah. the rules that are now adhered to today. And they go all the way back pretty much from 1867. But at that point, I think I hope I'm right in saying this. At that point, boxing was still illegal. Like it was still frowned upon. It's not like uh, it's not gone mainstream at this point. No. But what uh, what happened then was, as it got more and more popular and profitable, and Americans got quite good at it. So Americans realised, you know, it's a, a symbol of their dominance, and they also started using boxing as a training tool in World War One. So we're talking like early 1900s, um, aren't we? Yeah, and they started to realize actually the boxing itself develops like courage and character and these, you know, athletic skills. So it turns out that those authorities that were originally trying to ban it, legal, um, you know, fine people, jail people, they actually started sanctioning and regulating boxing matches. Yeah. Because they, you know, money money talks, doesn't it? They started to realize actually there might be money in this and actually, you know, there are some some positives to it. Yes. Yeah. They started to make it a bit more official and then they started to actually come up with putting, yeah, that, that regulatory body in place, as you were saying, to sanction the fights. And originally it was called the National Boxing Association is what, what they had in the early 1900s, which then morphed into what we now know as the World Boxing Association. Yeah, which is one of these previously mentioned belts, isn't it? The WBA belt. It's, um, it's, a, it's a bit of a minefield, isn't it? And this is when we were saying earlier, so we'd seen that Anthony Joshua had lost all of his belts. He was holding a number of belts. There are these four major federations that are talked about in boxing. We'll go into them in a moment. The WBA, the WBC, the IBF and the WBO. But it's a it's a bit of a minefield trying to follow all of them and and what they mean and what they're all about really. Yeah, the um the main issue is that most sports have got a single governing body. Yeah. So just one company that oversees everything that helps decide on everything. Whereas in boxing, there is no single governing body. No. And they've ended up with what is essentially four main ones that you've just mentioned. And it came out of the fact that what they would do is they would rank the, the fighters and they would appoint champions. And over time, people basically started disagreeing with their rankings because like you are saying earlier, it's quite subjective, isn't it? So th- that was the WBA. So that was the, they were the first ones, which is the World Boxing Association. And that was in 1962. And yeah, there was, a, there was some controversy that came out about it. People didn't like the way that they were ranking the, the fighters there's also some controversy around maybe accepting money or bribes to then get other fighters to then fight for belts. And so some of these other federations started to spring up. And a year later, yeah, basically. in 1963, the World Boxing Council then came out. Yeah, the WBC, which is often regarded as the most prestigious title, isn't it? But, um, you know, I don't really know enough about boxing to confirm that or, or not, but... I'm really interested. So. so we're we're hopeful that we've got a pretty good interview coming up for this. And I'd love to know just the thoughts around why it is so prestigious. But some of the names of the people that have won it have been really significant. So Golovkin, if that means anything to anybody who's known as GGG, 
or Deontay Wilder has held it in the past. Obviously, um, Anthony Joshua has held it. So yeah, there's, there's a load of famous people, Joe Fraser, Muhammad Ali, Floyd Mayweather, loads of people have held that as a belt. Um, and then there was a, yep. another one that came in 1983. So yeah, getting a bit closer. That was the IBF. Yeah. And then in 1988, a couple of years after that, WBO started, didn't it? Yeah. Um, so that's the International Boxing Federation. With... Yeah. And? And then the World Boxing Organization. Yeah. So we're now left with four different federations um, who are all ranking boxers according to their own rules and methods. Um, but there's more than one belt though, isn't there? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's because there's, <laughs> There's, there's loads of different weight categories as well. So in terms of fighting, making sure that there aren't as many mismatches as what you might have had. So going back to the Greek times and what have you, they didn't bother with weight classes. They just had anyone fighting anyone. And so predominantly the heavier, bigger person would have a, a big, big advantage. But nowadays with you've got 17 different weight classes haven't you and they've each got a belt in the governing body or their federation yeah so the the weight classes yeah it's just like up to 47 kilos up to 49 kilos up to 52 kilos you know just slowly climbing up the weights um and every single one there's 17 weight categories in each of the four belts um, each of the four commissioning sanctioning bodies. So you've got low 68 different time holders. <laughs> <laughs> and what's what's the name of the you very know, goes, lightest? Not, what's the very, what's the name of the very lightest one? I'm going to put this as a quiz on uh, Instagram. So if you're listening along, you're going to know this. Uh, it's atom weight, isn't it? Imagine that. I'm an atom weight. Seven stone four, 46.27 kilograms is an atom weight boxer. But is it a bit confusing that it's not an atom weight across all four of the federations, is it? <laughs> no, no. So, yeah, they, they're generally quite close to having the same names in lots of them. But every now and then, one of the different sanctioning bodies has a random name. So it's atom weight in three of them, but the WBA call it a light minimum weight. Yeah, just to confuse Randomly. you. <laughs> and, and then also, did you read about with the, the WBA that they started putting in place the super champion and then a regular champion. And that was almost just like the, the second best person, but they'd given them a belt to celebrate. They were the second best person. Yeah. There's lots of belts. Um, there's diamond belts as well. And uh, things like this and champion in recess and like lots of, if we go too far in, but basically there's loads of belts. I, one of the articles I was reading, it's called alphabet soup. They, there's just too many belts. It's just so hard <laughs> to keep track of it. So but it all comes down to the promotion, doesn't it? And about them then saying, oh, this is going to be a big fight because this belt's on the line. And so it just attracts more people in by thinking that there's a belt on the line. But really, in some cases, that belt might not be very relevant. Did you read anything about the ring belt? No, it's a magazine, isn't it? So yeah. I think it's the ring magazine. Yeah. And they they rank people as well, give belts out. and uh, But they're, they're quite highly regarded, that belt, I think. So... It's not a sanctioning body per se. It's just a magazine that ranks boxers yeah. and, and they, they end up saying you are the best heavyweight. You can be the ring belt champion or something. Yeah. And it's, it's just it's just because everyone believes what they say that it's gone, got that prestige and people want to be the, the ring belt champion. So 
All right. So we know the bodies. We know all the different belts. How does a fight actually get made then? What's the nuts and bolts behind? Like, what, why did Anthony Joshua fight Usyk, for example? Like, why, why does Wilder fight Fury? You know, it's, what do you say? There's, there's a lot of politics nowadays that goes along with it. So with any, with any boxer, they've got a whole team behind them. It's not just one person. They've got their promoter and, and trainer. They've got contracts with broadcasters and all sorts. So there's, there's quite a lot that goes into actually ever trying to make a fight happen. But part of the reasons are that you've got people who are mandatory challengers. So these are the people who've worked their way up the ranks they are then decided that they're the second best person within one of those federations and they should have a shot at trying to become the champion. Yeah. So yeah, if you, if you get to second best, uh, you know, for, I know IBF cruiserweight, for example, on your second best ranking, eventually the IBF are going to say to whoever the champion is, right, look, if you're going to walk around with our belt, you've got nine months to fight this guy because he is our number two and we think that you should fight him. And that's called that would be a mandatory title defense, wouldn't it? That you know it's mandatory because they're telling you it has to happen. Um, and I, I think that's what Usyk was, wasn't it? For Joshua, for example, he was he'd he'd got to a point where he was the mandatory challenger. That's right. Yeah, he was he was waiting. And what would have happened is if Joshua hadn't fought him, he would have had to relinquish his belt or vacate his belt and give it give it up basically. So rather than doing that, he took on the fight and we all know what happened. Yeah. And then the promoters. So how does a promoter get involved? Did you read about like, you know, I think Eddie Hearn's a promoter, isn't he? You know, pretty famous over here. Um, Don King was a promoter, you know, these sorts of guys. And they basically, they, they take on all the financial risk, don't they? So yes. their job is to, they're going to set fight up they're going to pay for everything they're going to pay for hiring the venue sorting out all the contracts covering all the legalities everything with the idea being that they then take a cut of the the, the earnings like the pay-per-view don't they yes yeah yeah that's that's exactly it and they they build it up don't they they're they're normally you know pretty yeah, they pretty good at they're, they're like hype men aren't they they're normally pretty good at getting some some buzz going around the fight and yeah saying why why everyone should should come along and watch it. But there's the prize money from fighting. There's a load of inequality that happens with the prize money in boxing fighting. Okay. So much so that the top 1% of boxers, they collect about 95% of prize money. Wow. Which is, that, and that all comes from, yeah. that, that all comes from the pay-per-views, doesn't it? So you know, Joshua Usyk, for example, they've got all the money's coming in from all the tickets they've sold, but also all the pay-per-views, you know, how, how much money people are paying Sky to show it. So all that money gets put together. They've got all the ticket sales, but all the pay-per-view as well. And all that money is now a pot of money that the promoter distributes accordingly. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And the, the sad truth of it, doing the, the reading and research around this, is that most boxers don't really make much money themselves. So they're the ones putting themselves at risk. Um, but their their total income from a boxer is about a third of the fight. So a third will go to the manager, 25% will go to the promoter, 10% will go to the trainer, and it's just leaving less and less of a cut for the for the boxer who's been putting himself on the line. So for example, if if a boxer, you know, if it was expected to win 25,000 pounds from a fight, 
you would actually take home eight and a half thousand pounds. Um, so yeah, this for doing all, all the all the risky part of it, they don't get all of the rewards, unfortunately. Yeah. That's pretty grim. You read about, you were telling me in the week, the guy on the undercard of a Canelo Alvarez fight. Yes. Is that right? Yeah. So Canelo, Canelo Alvarez is a pretty famous boxer, it's fair to say. If you don't even know about boxing, he's pretty big time, right? Yeah. And, yeah uh, he's super big time. You said he, he, earned, he earned £35 million for a fight, but the guys on the undercard earn... 30000 <laughs> Yeah. So, like, so if that's you just insane, think- like a thousand times less. Yeah, 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 yeah. So so Canelo, he earned 35 million for his fight against Daniel Jacobs. But there was a guy on the undercard at the one of the first fighters, a guy called Bilal Akaway, and he earned 30,000 pounds. Sorry, $30,000. But yeah, it's just just mad, isn't it? That that difference. But you know, the people are going to see Alvarez really, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, he's the he's where the money's at. Um, I actually read just, well, not really off topic. I read something just very briefly about like amateur boxing. Cause you hear about that from the Olympics, like so-and-so oh, yeah. has won bronze or whatever. Is he going to go pro? And I just read a little bit into it just about it all. But one of the things I was interested in, why do they stay amateur and why do they not go pro? Like surely the money's at being a pro, like wouldn't you do that? But it turns out actually lots of amateurs make a decent living because governments and i don't know like sporting federations of different countries they've got money and they want them to win medals in the olympics and stuff so they will i don't know if it's necessarily sponsor them because i don't think you can be sponsored as an amateur but they definitely fund it yes and they they can definitely live off of the money that they're getting so um unless they're you know if they're going to turn pro unless they're going to get into the top five rankings in the world it's not going to be worth it because they're going to make more money being paid by i don't know the british boxing federation wow. or whatever it would be or like living off grants like the, the national lottery grant or something to carry on with your yeah yeah and so, you know some countries have phenomenal budgets you know they win medals in every you know i don't know if, if the olympics is going to be in paris is france going to suddenly throw a load of money at french boxing amateur yeah. boxing yeah so for the next three years you might as well stay an amateur boxer in france because you're going to get so much money from them that yes. you're never going to make that if you go pro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the pro who's made the most money, if anybody was wondering out there, is Floyd Mayweather. So that's maybe a name that you've just heard, even outside of boxing. But he earned as much as $280 million in his fight with Conor McGregor, which absolutely astounding. Right, so we've made a fight. All right, we've got to number one in the rankings. The fight's been made. Now we're in the fight. All right, so we're now in the ring. And uh, the next thing, I, you know, one of the bigger things I said at the start, I think, is obviously a fight ends if somebody gets knocked out. Pretty much everybody's going to know that. But lots and lots of the time that doesn't happen. And it goes to what, you know, the scorecard, the judges at ringside. Yep. Um, so one of the first thing, actually, that I Googled this week was, what are judges looking for? How do they score a fight? What's the scoring? You know, how does that even happen? Yes. Um, I think you did the same, right? Yeah, yeah. No, I did. If I, yeah, if I just say as well, like like you were saying, it's the the way that people normally win is knockout, obviously knocking someone out, technical knockout or disqualification. Um, but yeah, going going to the ringside judges and the the things that they're looking for are effective aggression. So it's just where you're sort of showing your dominance in the ring. Ring generalship, yep. so that's where the fighter takes control of the action and enforces his style on the other person. 
defense, how well the boxer is blocking punches that are coming in and hard, clean punches is their fourth one. So I don't know, sometimes it looks like boxers are getting hit, but they're not really, are they? Yeah, exactly. They are, they're blocking it or they're, they're moving out the way, dodging it, parrying it, whatever. Um, and so the judges, so they're, they're looking at these things and they, they score almost every round, the vast majority of rounds in boxing. They, they get a score out of 10, but typically the winner of the round gets 10, the loser of the round scores nine. That's almost all the time. But obviously there are occasions where that doesn't happen. For example, if a boxer's knocked down, he will lose a point. If he does something you know, illegal, he might lose a point. Sometimes the judges might decide both of them are as good as each other, so they give them both 10 points. Um, sometimes they might decide one of the boxers is actually massively ahead and gives it 10 to 8 instead of 10 to 9. Um, but yeah, it tends to be scored 10, 10 to 1 and 9 in the other, doesn't it? And yeah, that, that is known as the 10-point system. So it sounds pretty simple, but this is okay. one of the things that I, I didn't understand before. Like when they read the scorecards out, how it's, yeah, like 110 to 115 or whatever it might be for one of the winners. But so it's called the 10-point sift system it was brought in in 1968 by the world boxing council and it just allows there to be that level of parity globally so people know that everybody is being judged on the same type of scoring system they did play around with it they did try and do it on a five point system so doing fives and fours or doing ones and zeros but it just never seemed to come back as, as clean as they wanted it to. So they've landed on the 10-point system, and that is why we've got it today. And then, this is funny, I like this. This was interesting. I looked at, like, so there's lots of words they use at the end if it hasn't been a knockout. So they get in the middle, judge is in the middle, he's holding both boxers' hands, right? He's about to raise one. And the winner, bye. And then they say something. Now, let me just quickly read all the different ways you can win a boxing match if it goes <laughs> to the scorecards. You can have a unanimous decision. All three judges score it to the same fighter. A split decision. Two judges score it to one boxer. The other judge scores it to another boxer. You can have a majority decision where two judges score one boxer ahead and the third judge scores it a draw. That's not all. You can have a split draw, a unanimous draw, a majority draw. <laughs> if I go into all of them, it would take too long. But... Essentially, there's loads of ways you can now win based on scoring. <laughs> Did you read anything about, about the judges as well? So they try and keep them impartial, don't they? So they try and have them from neutral countries. So if you've got a British and an American fighter, they then try and make sure that they have judges from Canada and Mexico and France or something to, um, to try and keep it impartial. But okay. there's often some controversy around judges scoring. And um, just how people interpret um, the rules. There's lots of controversy in boxing, though, isn't there? We said that we should probably talk about some other controversy. And uh, well, one of the other things I, I, I got into reading about was something called rehydration clauses. Did you read about this? Yeah, go on. <clears throat> so this is nuts. This is about so a fighter weighs in. They they get on the scales. You might see it on the telly sometimes. They they weigh in the day before a fight. When they weigh in, they have to they have to hit the weight that they're they're going to fight at. So if they're fighting for whatever bout and the weight limit is 48 kilos, they've got to weigh at 48 kilos then. But through like training methods and increased scientific knowledge and stuff, what they've realized is boxers can just strip out loads of water so they hit the weight. Mm -hmm. You know, they just sweat it out or they take diuretics or whatever. And then overnight can put on 15, 20, 25 pounds, like getting on for two stone in weight wow. overnight. 
Yeah, that's such an advantage. But some boxers can do it. Yeah, and some boxers can do it really well and put on loads of weight. And, you know, others can't. So, you know, me and you weigh in at the same weight and 24 hours later, I'm two stone heavier than you. Like, yeah. how's that fair? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's, that's so, of those um, 17 different weight categories that we mentioned, you're actually going up a couple of categories there, aren't you? Yeah. So these clauses that they're putting into place, trying to avoid that, and they do a second weigh in like, like hours before the fight. And they say, you know, you can rehydrate this much, but no more than that. Um, but it's just just very dangerous some of them are, are very very good at you know very good is that a thing you can practice they're very good at putting back on weight overnight uh, <laughs> typically just through water because they, they just sweat it all out get really light and then just put it all back on again on a not not quite a controversy but just something a little tidbit that i know you told me about earlier on the week talking about scoring and, and how matches are scored there was a funny story about willie pep wasn't there <laughs> Yeah, he he said to some people, I think it, I watched it on YouTube. This video must be so old. I don't know if it's like the 70s or something. He said, I'm going to win a round without throwing a punch. So you, you can find it. He goes out and all he's doing for the whole round is dodging. <laughs> and he's not, he's not throwing one punch, but the other guy isn't hitting him. So the other guy, you know, if you're a judge, you're trying to watch the other guy being effectively aggressive, which he's not. He's not controlling the ring. The other guy's not defending because he's just swinging punches, but he's not hitting anything. He's not got any hard or clean punches. So yeah. you, can't, you can't score him to win the round, but you can score this Willie Pep guy because he has excellent defense and he is, has <laughs> ring generalship. You know, he's in charge of that ring. So he ended up winning. He didn't throw a punch, but he didn't get hit either. <laughs> and then on the scoring, there is something different in the Olympics, isn't there, where they, they score by pressing buttons. So you've got your three judges who'll be sat watching the, the fight. Five judges, actually. Oh, sorry, five, five. judges in the Olympics. Five judges all sat there watching the fight and they need to press their, their button for a fighter if they think a punch has landed and they all need to do it within the space of a second. So it then counts as a score for that, for that boxer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you win amateur boxing or Olympic boxing. Um, yeah, you need to actually hit them. Um, but you don't get points for knocking people out. So there tends not to be like very many knockouts in amateur boxing because you need to keep hitting them. But obviously if you hit them too hard and you knock them out, but you actually needed to hit them a load more times because you get points for, for hitting basically. So you tend to point. find, um, yeah, there's no, no knockouts. They're also only three, tend to be three rounds. So it's really fast paced because they, you know, there's no feeling each other out. It's bang, 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 bang. Nine minutes there. It's all over. Yes. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's different to watch, I guess. You know, and they've also got headgear on and things, don't they? And, and softer gloves. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But it is, it is super dangerous, yeah. isn't it? I mean, one, one of the things we've not spoken about, like people who they need to like dedicate themselves to it. There's so much training and everything that, that goes into it and, you know, making, conditioning their body to be ready for this. But it's super dangerous and people do and have died even in recent times from, uh, yeah. from having bouts. I'd read that statistically boxing ranks 11th among dangerous sports in terms of injuries and fatalities below mountaineering, motor racing, horse racing, and rugby, apparently. Wow. So, but, but this was going to be my takeaway, but I'll say it now because it follows nicely. When a boxer is hit directly in the head, it is similar to being hit by a six kilogram bowling bowl traveling at 20 miles an hour. Blimey. That's great, minute. I mean, I... <laughs> I've seen the, the slow-mo replays when people get hit 
And I just think, how are they <laughs> yeah. not? Yeah. How, how are they not just like out? Like some some of the punches that they absorb is yeah. absolutely nuts. Yeah, yeah. How is this guy not dead? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, crazy. Um, yeah, I think we've covered everything, haven't we? Well, I suppose the other thing is it's changing. Sort of the face of boxing is changing a little bit, isn't it? And the future of the sport is um, in a bit of a precarious position. We're starting to see YouTubers. Yeah, you. Yeah, I mean, people that don't even like boxing or know much about it, but do follow influencers on YouTube or Instagram or whatever, starting to find actually they're boxing and um, lots of money to be made, isn't it? I, I read something, you know, like if they've got 10 million people watching because they're famous, like, does it matter that they can't really box? Yeah. 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 And the promoters and other people aren't going to turn it down because money talks, doesn't it? If there's money to be made in it, yeah. then I'm sure that the, you know, the likes of Eddie Hearn and Frank Warren and all of that, they will go along with it. Yeah. I read, I read a, a, an interview with a boxer. I, I couldn't tell you who it was. He was on the undercard of like one of these YouTube boxing matches, and you know this saying, is like Logan know, Paul, is it? isn't it? Logan Paul and Jake Paul and KSI and the like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is this disrespecting the sport, or you know, old school fans don't like it? He was like, well, you know, ten million people are going to watch me do this, and you know, I'm never going to get ten million people watching me box. Yeah. So wh- why wouldn't I do this? You know, normally I box in front of whatever, like fifty people or something. So yeah. Why, why wouldn't I get on this undercard? It's, it's good for me. It's exposure. So, um, Like raises yeah, his hard, profile. Like the purists, yeah, the purists are going to hate it. But, you know, if everything stayed the same forever, then that's is that is that good as well? Like, I don't know. I was reading something with Tony Bellew, who he was a, a world champion, world champion boxer, British world champion boxer. He was saying he's absolutely dead against it just because he's saying that the YouTubers and influencers, whatever, when they come up against somebody who is a really good boxer, his fear is that they will get hurt. The YouTubers will get found out and get really hurt. Whereas at the moment, it seems to be that the the YouTubers and the influencers are picking their fights very carefully. That's what Tony Belly was saying, just to make sure that they can yeah. carry on with a career in boxing. Yeah, that you know, being um, yeah, they're matched up against people on the downward slide. You know, very long retired boxers. Yeah, you know, people who can't really box, so they're not going to lose. But yeah, put them in the ring with someone legit, and there's going to be trouble, isn't it? I, I think, <laughs> uh, you know, I think that's probably true. But <laughs> yeah. I guess we'll find out. Nice. So I, I think we've th- there's so much more as well with boxing. I think we've we've scratched the surface. I've certainly learn a little bit more about um, some of it this week. I think we'll probably leave it there and maybe should we move on to our two guys, one topic takeaways? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Yeah. Just like you were saying, there's a, there's a, there's a lot to everything we learn, but you know, we could talk for ages, um, but yeah, hopefully we've scratched the surface, but here's a good one. I'll do mine. This ready. Oh, let's get ready to rumble. Hang on. Do we need Who to pay that? for that? Yeah, yeah, right. That's my point. That's my takeaway. So that guy, Michael Buffer, is well famous as doing like the ring introductions. You've probably heard it on an advert or seen it in a film or on telly or something. He actually trademarked it or copyrighted it or which, whichever one of those it is where he gets money off of it. Yes. So, you know, so it can now be licensed for computer games and music and TV and things like that. It's estimated he's made $400 million off of Let's Get Ready to Rumble. <laughs> That is incredible. 
he was in it, he was asked it in an interview like straight up you know what's happened and he said look all i can say is it's been very profitable to profitable to me and it, it's done me well so i think it's sort of him nodding like yeah i've made a lot of money off this so <laughs> And he's he's a ring go. announcer, so he's the guy in the middle who'll just say, you know, who's going to be fighting who, and then announce the winner at the end. How mad is that? Yeah, yeah. And he's paid. You know, there have been times where he's been paid a million dollars just to get in the ring and and say that, like, you know, flown out to wherever, done the ring introductions only for the main event as well. You know, that an undercard boxing's got whatever five or six other fights. He doesn't do any of them, just the main one. Fair play. My two guys, one topic takeaway was all around. Have you ever wondered why the thing that they fight in is a square shape, but for some reason it's called a ring? Yeah, the squared circle, right? They're fighting yeah. in the squared circle. Like, what's that about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it just got me looking and, yeah, looked into why is it called the squared circle or, yeah, why, why is it a ring? And it all comes back to, so, in like 1750s, when we were talking about earlier, when boxing came back and it was relatively modern, what they would do is they would draw out in a dust-shaped ring where the two fighters would then get in. So they were actually standing in a ring shape back then and they'd have the crowd okay. of people around them. And then as it then grew and then the federations came and then they realised that they could make more money from it, they then thought, oh, well, let's actually just put some ropes around people and put them on a bit of a stage. But for some reason, they never decided to change the name from it being a boxing ring. And so, yeah, the, the ring stuck and it is the squared circle. Yeah, very, yeah, you're right. Because, yeah, they're in a boxing ring, but it's not a ring, is it? Yeah, that's <laughs> strange. Oh, yeah. Did not know that. But, yeah, there we go. Everybody learned something. Sharing some knowledge there, Ollie. I like it. Absolutely. We hope you've enjoyed this episode and you've, you've found out some more information, even if you're into boxing a little bit or if it's the first thing that you've ever heard about boxing hopefully the next time that there's a fight that comes around you'll be able to share a little bit of knowledge and have a chat with some people about what it's all about exactly that's the whole point of the pod isn't it even if you can just have a small little conversation about boxing now then we're winning everybody's winning um we'd like to know what you thought about the pod uh hit us up on the socials at two guys one topic twitter facebook instagram let us know your thoughts or questions or suggestions for episodes future episodes that'd be great leave a comment leave a review that'd be great thank you and we will speak to you next week get out there and share some knowledge